0: Welcome back. I want to take a quick second to tell you about our sponsor of today's episode of North American Deer Talk, CNE Wildlife Products. CNE Wildlife is a trusted leader in biotechnology for the cervid industry. They offer microencapsulated bacteria products that are research supported through Texas Tech University with more than 30 years of experience and commitment to all natural probiotics. This product line continues to be a mainstay in herd management programs across North America. And the reason is simple. They're passionate about the cervid industry. They have products for elk, whitetail, muleys, red deer, and more. With products ranging from fawn paste and Electromax to Guardian Plus, Whitetail Energy Pack, Jumpstart, or their ever-popular Top Score Extreme, they just flat-out work. We have been a CNE Wildlife product user for more than 15 years. To learn more about CNE Wildlife, check out episode 54 of North American Deer Talk, a probiotics masterclass with CNE owner Sadie Horrocks, and give her a call today to start using the products we do here. Hey, it's the Deer Wizard, host of North American Deer Talk. I want to tell you about a great new advertising and research platform that we've developed for you, CWDBreeding.com. You know, as the deer industry continues to mature and develop around chronic wasting disease and its known genetic heritability, resources like CWDBreeding.com become essential tools for deer managers across the country making decisions about their herds. I really wanted a platform that excelled at hosting GEBV and codon markers in a filterable and searchable manner, but I also wanted to have high quality pictures, videos, ages, scores, nadar numbers, and a whole host of other information to go along with that. This database puts everything in one easy to find location and allows you to access the industry's greatest genetic resources. I look forward to seeing all the great bucks that people have to offer in one easy-to-find location, cwdbreeding.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of North American Deer Talk. This is episode 86. We are uh, into June. I wish I could show you outside of my window right now. Um, Much of the East Coast is, like, covered in smoke it's it's pretty wild I guess there's some uh, uh, wildfires in Canada and there's a northeasterly wind that's blowing and like it's it's thick I got some pictures um, I got some pictures I'll try to pipe them into this this show if you're watching on YouTube and uh, you can like see the mountain range in the background it just looks super hazy uh, but you can you can smell the fire it kind of rolled in yesterday and um, I was like what the heck's going on and then um, you know they're like letting schools out we got the HVAC system shut down in the in the building so pretty pretty interesting um, I hope everybody's doing great we got you know funds being born I suspect many uh, do I've heard a couple guys kind of wrapping up I'm a little bit uh, jealous or, or envious of that. Uh, and the same token we did, um, as we've talked about before, we did a little bit uh, kind of different reproductive program uh, this past fall. And it, uh, it's, it's kind of conducive to have later fawns. So, you know, we, we AI'd uh, beginning of November, pretty normal stuff. We did some embryo on a good number of does here Uh, Embryo uh, flushes and and so those girls are are backups and they're gonna have a later cycle. So we'll uh, we'll have some of them uh, come in here in the next few weeks and We also have some fawns that are bred. So I looked uh, I went out yesterday and looked at the group of doe fawns out there. There's 11 of them and Seven of them are bred for sure. So really high, uh, recruitment rate on the, on the fawns breeding. I, I think those are kind of like bonus, bonus deer. Um, it's it more, I've had very little issues. And when I say fawns breeding, so those does would be turning one year old right now. So they, they bred at, you know, seven, eight months of age, six to eight months of age, something like that. Um, but, they've all done pretty well here um we'll see we'll we'll see i'll keep you posted um i'm just you know i'm hoping hoping to get some extra fawns out of it and uh that'll be a good thing for for my numbers here anyway um if you're watching on youtube thank you uh we are also posting shows over at rumble if you're not a youtube watcher or you just prefer that Rumble platform? Uh, we're starting to put shows up over there. I'm gonna keep working on getting those those posted. It's just taking me some time. Um, if you're listening on the podcast, thank you so much. You can find us at all the various places: Amazon, uh, Google, Spotify, Apple. You know, wherever you listen to your podcast. Um, so I, I was kind of just. I wanted, to, I wanted to get on the mic here and, and just have a, a, a quick discussion with you. This isn't going to be overly long, at least I don't, I don't think it is. Um, but I wrote down a question uh, that I'd like to, to share with you and then maybe add some context to that. And I wrote down the question, uh, how to stay alive. So it's a little hyperbolic, obviously, but probably be the title of the show. Um, And then we're going to wrap up with why I think that you should be here for the long term and you should stay alive. Um, So what this means is when we, I think, I think it's best to look at um, these as best I can tell unless you're independently wealthy and you need a big tax write-off, nobody's building a deer farm and then, you know, taking it down a year or two later, maybe not nobody, but it's just not, that's not how, that's not how these businesses are typically structured. There is a, a really, there's a pretty big hurdle to entry. Um, and, there's quite a bit of infrastructure costs that go into, you know, making these these uh, farms and ranches operate and functional. Um, so it's, it's a long-term thing, right? Like, it, it, and we're talking, you know, more than a decade mostly. Um, can you get some ROI quickly? Yeah, I think in certain circumstances. But generally speaking, I think if you if you talk to everybody that's kind of entered into this um, industry in the past five years, they're probably again outside of land. They're probably just starting to get some clearance on their balance sheet. Um, but like if you look at the if you look at the cost of fencing today, um, you know maybe maybe folks that that built pre 2020 um, or 2021. Uh, maybe they're off to a, a much better start. Of course, they're getting into that uh, maturity rate for their their deer, but like, you know, you got to purchase inventory, of course, I personally believe um, it's probably a great great time to purchase inventory and, you know, I don't know if we're gonna, well, we're not gonna get into all those things, but I wanted to touch on something that um, has been kind of working through my brain and we've talked about it, we've talked about it before, um and I just I wrote down some quick notes here to just uh guide the guide the conversation a little bit but I think this is a um an in, an important way to uh look at your operation and and you know be here for the long term uh, and these things will help. So um why does animal health matter so much? You can you can purchase the best genetic animals out there you can do all the things right you can have the handling facilities and the you know the well i'll call them fancy fences but like you can have the most beautiful um you know professionally done fence and you know all these like expensive built feeders and automatic watering systems and like I we you know we have a lot of that type of stuff um, because I think it has it has value but like you could spend all this time and money on those things but if you can't keep those animals alive um, you're just not gonna make it or it's gonna be very difficult so when you look at when you look at your inventory, you know after you purchase your initial stock, you can keep buying if you want. Um, you know nobody says you you can't keep buying, but the most cost-effective way is to make your own future generations, and and that's why that's why fawns. You know I have I have a a note here. It says fawn inventory, equals, and then a dollar sign. You know, your, your fawn inventory is, is cash, and you have to treat it like cash. So those, when those fawns get on the ground, y- you, you gotta do almost everything to keep them alive. And w- what we've found is the preparation prior to those fawns coming is the most important thing. If you take action when the fawns arrive, I'm not saying all the time, but in some cases, you're going to get smacked around. But if you put your efforts into keeping those fawns alive before they get there, it pays dividends. So we have our um, episode 73. i I'm, I'm going to pin that right there. Um, I'm going to try to remember to pin it right there. Um, and we talk about the pillars of success. There's three general pillars. I'm sure there's, there's others we will develop, but um, it's, the, it's the same uh, core tenets. And I don't want to harp on those, but pen density, uh, reducing the number of animals you have on a, a, a per acre basis um, or a per holding general space basis. Number two, vaccina- uh, vaccination program. Number three, uh, quality nutrition. So, the largest input, and I'm going to touch on number three real quick. The largest input, if you if you pencil out a balance sheet, take away your initial startup costs and your fixed costs, um, and you look at your your year over year expenses, um, payroll and feed will be th- the two things that cost you the most. Um, I'm generalizing, some people may have some incredibly high uh, reproductive program uh, fees because maybe they're buying a ton of semen, maybe they're purchasing embryos, maybe they're making their own, so on and so forth. But if you look at those cost inputs, um, feed's number one those suckers eat every single day and they don't stop and, and feeds expensive. So, uh, for, for reference, our feed here, uh, currently is just a touch under $700 a ton. Um, we, we've spared no expense to provide what we feel is the highest quality feed. We have, you know, a tremendous vitamin and mineral pack. Um, and we, we do use some, uh, probiotic additives. That would be on top of the, the 692. Um, uh, I think that's what it was. Six, 692 a ton, 691, something like that. Um, and that's delivered here. So, you know, that sub, you know, for round numbers, that $700 a ton, uh, with those guys eating, you know, I don't know what the average is for the year. It's probably, it's probably right around three pounds, but, um, you know it ebbs and flows through uh, winter and summer, but it's it's significant. And then you you know if you're if you're drawing a payroll um, uh, check on your on your farm, if you're an independent operator, or if you have employees, you know those are going to be the those are going to be the biggest inputs. So um, you have to keep those fawns alive. In addition to that when we start looking at, uh, how to stay alive, there's a selection process that goes into the does to create those fawns for you to keep alive and, and turn into dollars. So you gotta get fawns to weaning. You know, it's one thing to have fawns and you can be like, Oh, I'm, you know, super successful. You know, I, I have, uh, Whatever, three fawns per doe, you know at birth, and then you get to weaning, and you know your recruitment rate for fawns that make it to weaning, you know from you know three fawns, which is that's absurd, obviously, you know three fawns uh, drops down to to one, right? Um, it's not going to cut it. So you know, and and, and every doe is going to have a little bit of a, a different kind of uh, story tour and and we're gonna talk about more about the uh, the stories of each one of these animals um, when we look at when we look at farms and quality notes and how those how all those things interact and it, it's it's a it's a fun conversation to have it's it's hard for me to um, <laughs> unpack what's in my head and and kind of describe it to you guys without uh, getting lost and, and having a, a decent conversation, um, but but I will try, uh, not today but but I, I will try in the future and we'll we'll continue to uh, kind of touch on this, but having, you know having your doffons get to your doffons excuse me your fawns get to weaning time, is is really important, um, that's where they kind of start. I mean, it's a good, it's a good defining uh, time in their life for when they, they start living on their own. And, and then the next challenge is uh, weaning to one year old, right? Because if you, if you were to pencil out your death rate on your farm and you structured it by age, um, you're, the overwhelming majority of your, of your death uh, on a percent basis is gonna happen up in that um, zero to 12 months. And, you know, probably uh, it, it's higher zero to six months and then higher zero to three months. So when we, 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 we need to kind of keep that in mind, but like there are some benchmarks and, and then there's some management things that you can do to try to, you know, lessen the risk, if you will, through those different time periods. And, you know, we talk about this stuff all the time, um, but I think that fawn per is is a really important thing uh what that should be I, i'm not really sure exactly um what it needs to be uh for you but i really i need to be over a fawn and a half uh per doe and you're like well how, how do you do that there's no such thing as a half fawn um I, I i got that right but like when you take your does and you divide it by the number of fawns living you, you don't always come up with whole numbers um so I just want to be, I want to be as far up the scale as I can, um, with the lowest amount of inputs and, and well t- you know, like feed is a big part of that. So that, that input into those, uh, those does passes down to those fawns. And then when you get good fawn growth, uh, that's important. You add in, um you know, a vaccine program. So you're vaccinating prior to those fawns coming. Um, that's a nice little bump for herd health. And then um, obviously, you know, getting those fawns vaccinated at weaning. And these are kind of some of the, the little things that um, you could do as you as you work through that timeline on, on their life cycle. But um, take a look at the importance you know, put, put all your animals in a, in a spreadsheet with your cost basis and, um, and start remove, like run your numbers out be like, okay, I need to make whatever 50 grand and start running your numbers out. And then, and then add mortality in as a, as a percentage of your fawn crop and, and watch what happens to your balance sheet. Um, And, and you see it, like most of our income here is derived from Uh, creating ranch stock so when we when we sell you know we need a a certain amount of deer each year uh, to send off to the ranch they have to average x amount and we can't you know like we can't afford to be losing fawns like that's just those those are our future sales Um, so it's it's really important to look look at it that way uh, and that kind of takes us into the the second part of this is how do you make money uh, raising deer? There's lots of different ways. Um, I'm going to touch on some of the most common ones and then, um, I'll talk about some variations of that because, and I'll, I'm, I'm going to lean on my, my uh, time in the, in the deer industry and like kind of where I'm at today, and then we'll finish up with why I think you need to be here for the long term and the reason to stay alive. So there's a few basic categories, um, and there's there's really two two separate businesses. You can do both. You can do one or the other. Um, you have the the farming side, uh, and that's you know, more so a, a, a breeder operation. Um, there's little niche markets within all this stuff, but we're gonna touch on the, I'm gonna generalize and work with the big big picture things. Um, so you got your, your breeder farms. This is the place where uh, breeding's done and we make inventory uh, via offspring. So we got uh, products from those would be stalkers. Other breeding stock, and then you have your uh, semen and embryos, right? And then you have the ranch side of things where there's outdoor recreation via hunting. And you can do both. The most, um, again, I'm generalizing, right? The most profitable thing that you can do is raise your own deer for stocking. And then have hunts to offset your your land cost and you know your business and such. There's there's nothing there's nothing more profitable than that in in our deer world. Um, and I think that there's great longevity in that business. Um, there are there are some people that strictly um, just run hunting operations, and they're you know they're buying they're buying their stock, um, and then you know managing and maintaining a, a some sort of herd within that that property. Uh, but there's always kind of supplementation, and you know that, that can be that can be really good too. Um, there are there are things outside of the control of the the owners of those properties with working with uh, other farms that can add challenges. So you know having that kind of vertical integration of breeder farm and hunt ranch um, would be, would be ideal. So when we look at, and I'm going to, I'm just going to dive into, into my farm. I've talked about some of the business practices that we do and we don't do. Um, So I'll share those with you. If you've heard them already, I, I apologize. I'm going to reiterate them again. Um, We currently are not selling females off our farm. Then you say, well, "Why is that?" Well, it's a it's a risk profile we're not really willing to take. Um, we have a um, we have a monitored status in our state, so we can only do business in the state of Pennsylvania. Which you know, there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that. We're we're happy to do that. Um, we did have you know a, a, an interstate status where we could do business in any states that would accept animals from Pennsylvania and we ended up you know we were doing our normal thing we'd sell breeder does and and bread does and fawns and all that stuff and you know when you sell does they typically go live for a long they can live for a long time at somebody else's place and you expose yourself to um, CWD risk uh, and regulation. And and that's what happened to us last time. So uh, just a quick recap. I sold a doe in February, 2014. And uh, 40 months later, it tested positive during a depopulation event. So another, another animal tested positive on the farm that I sold that doe to. Those animals sat there for five or six months. They depopulated them. Mido ended up um, testing positive. What we know from that, and, and it becomes more relevant today, um, I, I think more from a personal perspective, is that that animal was a GG and it was a lymph node only positive. So we have a, a generally speaking, a highly susceptible animal um, that has early stage infection, uh, but infection nonetheless. And And you know, we, it's a separate debate with chronic wasting disease about um, incubation periods and, and where the disease is and how we should handle those things. But a positive is a positive in the eyes of uh, our Department of Ag. So I was quarantined, and that happened uh, August 2017. So I was removed from quarantine. I, I ran that quarantine period out uh, from 40 months to 60, um, 40, 44, something like that. Um, and I got off of, I got off of quarantine. Uh, twenty nineteen, so February twenty nineteen, I was allowed to do business again, and and I had already been, kind of tapering down my sales, um, because in twenty, I think twenty fifteen, I, I I think it's that time, um, I hadn't brought a deer in because CWD was becoming uh, more and more of a risk factor for our business. And we were trying to figure out how we can uh, protect ourselves. So we just decided not to bring any more does. in. that was easy. We had we had stock here and we could make our own animals. And we were working towards uh, that end. Um, I did bring I bought a buck in 2015 and I I bought him. I brought him in. but that's the last year that I've, I've uh, brought in. So like, I don't have any, I don't have any regulatory ties to the disease as far as like a five-year trace out to, to bring it in from anybody else. Uh, it doesn't mean that, you know, like there couldn't be wild deer out there that are potentially positive that are infecting my animals. That's possible. Um, and we, we know, uh, we know that with some certainty as more and more studies are done um, and i hope to, to be able to share some of those with you here in the future so um anyway we don't sell does. so people are like well what do you do with your does? well i, I call them right so they are they are we we have a selective process and and this forced me you know this this quarantine was a, a an awakening to me because like i was running some you know pretty pretty big numbers uh you know big for our our big for our small operation here in a, a one man crew. And, um, it made me rethink how I, how I look at animals, how I assess them, you know, maybe keeping animals longer than, um, than I should, um, from a production standpoint, so on and so forth, totally separate conversation. But, um, that drove me into really getting my pen density, uh, really kind of defined and dialed in, um, and, and making some different decisions about how I handle my herd. Um, but I still sell stockers and that's because, um, they're again, generally speaking, um, their influence on a particular piece of property that is not my own, uh, is usually a shorter duration than that of the females. Right? So we're, we're mostly stocking male genetics as they can influence, um, they can influence herds um, elsewhere, uh, but they can also be harvested and uh, provide some income to those, those properties. So um, there's that. We don't really sell breeders. If you want genetic material from us, you really have two options, and that's semen and that's embryos. So we, we kind of uh, took on um, or, or last year embraced the uh, embryo side of things. Um, and, and that's worked out well, you know, we've, we've, um, we've taken a genetic line that we've worked on for a long time and we now have, uh, put that out into the real world, so to speak. Um, and there's, you know, now maternal offspring that are not on our, our farm and we don't have the, the regulatory risk associated with having animals, um, outside of our, control um, that have that kind of regulatory capture so that's a part of it and of course you know you have semen too and um, I think the semen and embryo market is a is a relatively limited one but I do think that there are um, opportunities to carve out a little kind of niche for yourself uh, within that space based on you know various animals that you have maybe that's um, you know really like classic true typicals. Maybe that's giant non-typicals. Maybe that's the CWD breeding market. Um, Maybe that's the, you know, color market with uh, pie balls and uh, whites and melanistics and all that stuff. So there's, there's, there's all these little different uh, pockets of of income that can be had. Of course, there's the supply side of things. So you got um, tags and milk replacer and feeds and you know, hey, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we won't get into that, but like, maybe that's those are value adds that you can you can provide. So, uh, we touched on a little bit of the the money making things, but like, we sell those stalkers, right? That's how we that's how we we make our money. We add a little bit of uh, semen sales and some embryos, and um, that's there. You know, our cold we can we can sell for for meat if we want to. Um, you know, you have, uh, antlers for trophy and for craft and for, uh, dog chews. Those are other things that you can do as well. And, uh, I want to touch on the, the last statement that I have here and it's why I think you should be here for the long term. Um, and, and again, all these conversations, they end up, uh, revolving around or, um, you, you discuss them relating to a chronic waste disease, and that's because that is our largest regulatory hurdle. You can, you can have the greatest deer, you can have the greatest health program, you can have the greatest successes in all your businesses, but if you're in a regulatory environment where you cannot succeed, or you feel like you're being strangled um, by a government that just does not understand your needs, that's probably not a great business to be in and I understand that there's localized challenges um, and when I say localized I mean on a state level um, there are certainly issues nationally which we need to tackle right and and I know there's work being done on that um, you know I'm, I'm, I'm not privy to direct conversations but um, I, I do know that they're happening uh, I try to interject myself where I think I can help and i know here in the state of pennsylvania there's a shift i can i can i can just and and i'm trying not to paint a rosy picture because i understand um there are challenges going on i you know shout out to the guys up in minnesota i i I, man i feel for you i i read uh and and if you haven't got a chance uh reach out to somebody up there and um, get their their press release that they just put out you know they're 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 coming into a world of hurt. are regulators um, and legislators, they just, they, they don't get it, right? They're, they're literally just forcing them out of business or they're gonna make it so difficult they can't comply. Um, and, and it's a shame because, and it's all based around chronic wasting disease. Um, or that's the excuse, right? That's the excuse for it. Now, again, we can debate the merits of the disease, But if you're not looking rationally at a regulatory environment that that balances business and, and disease management, you're not doing your job properly as a regulator, in my humble opinion, okay? So we have to look at this, and there's so much science that is coming out. And, and studies that are being done, and initiatives that are being funded to really tackle the challenges of this disease. And again, like we can debate the merits of the disease. A lot of people don't think that it's something that we should be worried about. Um, go ahead and, and have CWD in your, in your deer pens for extended periods of time. And let me know if you think that it's something um, that you want to ignore. Because it's not now. The dynamic is different in a free-range setting, but in a controlled pasture setting, it's not something you want to deal with. Um, there's there's certainly health issues and challenges that that come along with it. So let's let's go ahead and let's just run head on into this thing, and let's work on beating the disease because the the regulations we can change we can work on changing those we are here in pennsylvania we are working on changing them um and and there's a there's a shift that's happening uh regarding this disease and it's because of uh the work that uh those out there in the the research and scientific community are doing providing you know in-depth knowledge back on on real-world application some lab application but real-world application of um, you know just various things that are happening with with chronic wasting disease so um keep your head up and and make sure you're here and and the reason is is in a in a pretty short period of time and i don't know what that time frame is because we have to kind of do it all together but in the next, call it five to 10 years, the, at least the whitetail business. Now the elk are gonna, the elk ranching uh, community is gonna come along with us. The mule deer guys are gonna come along, red deer, um, all the CWD susceptible species are gonna kind of follow. The reason the whitetails are gonna lead is because there's more of them and there's, there's more money behind it um, to, uh, when I say more money behind it, there's, there's more whitetail, uh, farmers and ranchers that can supply funding to make the changes we need. Um, so you're going to see, and the the research is farthest along on those because there's the most numbers of them here in the, in the United States. Um, in the next five to 10 years, you're going to see an unleashing of this industry. And I want all of you to be in a position to capitalize on your operations for your families, um, you know I'm still a ha, I'm still a relatively young man, right? Um, and and I have you know I got 20 25 years left easy um, in this in this business if I can stay alive and if I can be here for the long term. But I want to put myself in my operation position because when we unshackle ourselves from this, you know, government yoke of of CWD regulation, um, this business is going to boom. There's going to be opportunities that are uh, presenting themselves on a regular basis, much like, you know, call it, it wasn't pre-CWD for everybody, but, you know, called the end of the 90s and, and up until about 2006, like, if you were in this business, it was exciting. And it's still exciting, right? And we, we, we know it's exciting because we love these deer. Um, but, like, there was all sorts of uh, income to be made, improvements to operations, a lot of growth. Everywhere you look, there was growth. Um, and and now we're seeing consolidation, and, and it may not be a bad thing, right? Like we, there certainly was a, a bubble that was pricked um, in the deer business. Things were maybe getting a little out of control. Um, uh, you know, two thousand seven, two thousand eight, two thousand nine. We started to see some deflation, and of course, we had a you know a global uh, recession, uh, which which probably didn't help because you know, anyway, look at it. um, Not for everybody, but for some, you know, hunting is a discretionary income spending thing. So anyway, um, I want all of you here with me. I, 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 you know, I love this business. I love this industry. I love these animals. I think that um, many of you do as well. You've shared your stories with me. I, I always like hearing them, so keep 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 telling them. Um, but we're, we're going to come out of this whole uh, CWE thing in, in, in such a positive way um, because we have a really compelling story. So I'm going to wrap up with that. I hope you all enjoyed. I did go a little longer than I wanted to, but that's all right. As always, stay tuned for another episode of North American Deer Talk.